I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. So uh, I've been doing lots of fun interviews, uh, and today I continue that trend with Brian Tinsman, and we're going to talk about Rise of the Eldrazi. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Mark. Hi, everybody. Okay, so let's go back. So it's interesting. Most of the time when I do interviews, I'm the one that was on the design team, and I'm talking to people who develop it a lot of the time. But in this particular product, you led the design team, and I, I wasn't on the design team at all. I was on the development team, so a little backwards yeah. from most of my interviews. So, okay, yeah. so let's go to the very beginning. Where did the idea to do this set come from? This was kind of a follow-up in Zendikar block, and, you know, Zendikar had kind of like this uh, kind of three-act storyline where initially uh, it was a, a lush world with, full of energy and then uh, in, in world wake it, things were starting to get crazy and and some uh, turbulence and, and destruction was beginning to be unleashed and then in the, the third act it was rise of the Eldrazi and it turns out that the whole plane is getting overrun by these giant interdimensional kaiju-like sized creatures uh, I'm sure most people uh, listening to this are familiar with Eldrazi at this point, but uh, it, it was all still an idea so, at this stage. So real quickly, just a, a little uh, background for the audience. Originally, uh, we were only going to be in Zendikar for two sets, and the third set wasn't going to be on Zendikar at all, was the original plan. And the creative team said, whoa, 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 we don't have time to build another world. What if we create an event that is so dramatic that it makes sense that they're brand new mechanics and everything? And mm -hmm. I think the creative team is one that, that came up with the, the concept of the Eldrazi. Um, but I know you are a huge Cthulhu fan, right? So you were super, super excited by this. Yeah, right. I, I really wanted to be part of it because uh, I I've, I've love the idea of these like uh, mysterious beings and forces that are just like ab ab above the level of our uh our dimension and and inscrutable in their thinking uh no, no humans will ever be able to comprehend what goes on in their world and uh i, I know brady had mark tadine and uh, a few of the other artists out there to do like a, a, a story world bible and uh, and put the style guide together i think it was one of the first times uh, they had ever done that. And they had like a whole bunch of crazy experimental art that they came and showed off and uh, got the entire team excited about. Okay. So what, what was your driving, like what was your vision of the design? What, what did you, what, what sort of led everything that came after it? So it, we did want to turn the mechanics on their, in, in a new and fresh direction and we had this really strong concept and I, I gotta say I'm, I'm really pleased with how it turned out um, it's it's a, a standout I think in terms of delivering on the, the promise right we wanted to have a, a set that in, in fact I think it probably does count as the first battle cruiser magic experience uh, at least that was like deliberately created that way uh, and do, do you want to define what battle cruiser means when you say battle cruiser what did you mean by what do you mean by that yeah uh, so is there, it's a reference to Starcraft and the the pro players um, 
are super focused on uh, efficiency and uh, using the, the best, most efficient u- units in the game. But casual players, uh, a lot of times, they just want to go build the biggest, most powerful units in the game and then throw them all together at the center and see them crash into each other. And it's Ken Nagel, I think, kind of uh, told the story of how him and his friends just they get so so much enjoyment out of doing that. And we kind of realized that there had never been a set deliberately created to make eight eights and ten tens come out and be the right play, be good to play. And uh, both in limited and in constructed, like you just really never had a set that was focused around that. And the experience of Rise of the Elf, I think it, it delivered on that. So that, that's what I really remember about that. Okay, so um, let's let's jump in and talk about some of the mechanics. Um, so why don't we start with Annihilator, since that is the, the most closely tied to the Eldrazi. So where, where did Annihilator come from? So we were talking about how these Eldrazi are going to be different and distinct. And um, it was Aaron Forsyth just like kind of casually mentioned it in a, a meeting and he and he even said we should we should call this annihilator or something like that uh that's just like super aggressive and scary and i i kind of heard that and looked around the room and said damn that i want that yeah yeah <laughs> and and we we put it that up on the whiteboard along with quite a few other ideas and er- everything else was kind of crossed off the list pretty quickly and the the great thing about Annihilator is that, like, traditionally, the uh, the big creature mechanic is Trample, and uh, Annihilator plays kind of differently, and it sort of gives you a few chances while your your permanents and, and your lands are being eaten by these uh, creatures. It, it gives you some chances to try and hunt for that pacifism or some removal or some some way out. And like occasionally you're going to find it and you're going to be left with only a, a few resources left on the board in this desperate situation. And so those are super memorable moments when they when they happen. And uh, that same kind of thing doesn't really happen so much with with Trample. So Annihilator turned out to be really good for like creating those dramatic moments. And it was very big. I mean, one of the things I know you wanted to do was... Um... Like part of part of the battle cruiser idea was these weren't just little tiny things; these were just huge, gigantic, like large scale things were going on, and big things were happening. And I, yeah. I think Annihilator definitely falls into that. Like, just it feels like this creature attacks, and just things fall in its wake as it attacks. Yeah. What well, One of my principles in game design is to leave people with. Uh, emotional experience, a memory, uh, a moment that just sticks out in their minds. And so if you can create an exciting moment or a piece of drama that's never happened before, uh, you've, you've done a good job as a, as a designer. And so like a, a lot of these mechanics are trying to set up like a big epic turn or uh, a, a last minute save or, or something that just like when you are driving home, from the game that night you're you're talking to someone and going like oh man i can't believe that happened right we 
That's where a lot of these mechanics are headed. Okay, so another big player. This one required... Nowadays, we do a lot of frame changes. Uh, that is not something we did a lot in the time. Although, um, not only, the Eldrazi themselves required a frame change. We'll get to that in a second. But like the Eldrazi looked different. We had to make a new frame. But we also did level up. So I want to talk a little bit about level up. Where, where did level up come from? Yeah, level up came from this idea that we want to make big creatures smash into each other and and make it correct to uh, to have eight eights and ten tens fighting. And we were sort of like, okay, we got the Eldrazi, but how can we pump up the the other creatures in this set and, and give them an epic experience, especially when we're providing all these tools to kind of slow down the early game, make make it safe to ramp your mana for a bit, and then on turn seven, eight, nine, you've got access to a ton of mana. All right, what can you do with it? What can you pour into it? And so level up was like kind of mechanically a way to pour in all this mana if you're not playing Eldrazi. And uh, we had a theme of uh, auras and, uh, and, and making your, your, little, your little humanoids uh, be able to fight the big guys so I, as well. I realized I did not explain real quickly. As I introduced concepts, I should explain them to the audience who might not know them. Annihilate is a mechanic that when you attack, it has a number. Your opponent has to uh, sacrifice that many creatures, whatever the number is. Uh, sorry, that many permanents. Um, and then level up was a mechanic where you could pay mana and the, the creature had three different sort of text boxes and power toughnesses and you could sort of upgrade the creature by spending mana. Right, right. And jumping back, jumping, yeah, go ahead. I just real quickly, just because the, the magic historian in me has to uh, bring something up. So the, the, there's a card that inspired this mechanic, which you designed back in Eventide, um, which was called Figure of Destiny. Oh, yes. And that was a card, so for, it was a, it was a hybrid set, so it had hybrid red-white mana. So for one hybrid mana, all this is red-white, you made a 1-1, one, one, and then you spent one more uh, hybrid mana, became a 2-2. Two, two, and then you spent three more hybrid mana, became a 4-4. Four, four, uh, and then mm -hmm. you spent six more mana and became an 8-8 eight, eight flying first strike. And so, like, it kept... It It was the early version of what this mechanic would be, although it didn't have all the frame changes and stuff. Uh, and then... Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And that card was using creature type to uh, yes, yeah. detect whether it was ready to go to the next stage or not, which was kind of uh, like a, a fun, different what use of creature type. And then the level of mechanic uh, was just using a frame change of, of, you know, the level one, level two, level three, and how many counters had been, uh, or not. It was using three different text boxes to add abilities onto it, I should say. Right. The way it worked is uh, you would have the level of ability, which told you how much mana you had to spend. And then it would give you, at this level, here's your stats. At this level, here's your stats. And so different ones would change a different amount. So how much mana you had to spend would change and, and stuff. Um, yeah. And I, I, I was very interested in exploring what we could do to the card frame and to... Uh, help take the gameplay in different directions. And I, I spent a long time uh, kind of shopping around different layouts, that, uh, different versions of, of level up to see if people would like intuitively play it correctly just by looking at it and understanding it. And I think we ended up sort of 
on the edge of where that's a good idea or not. And it's good. I mean, it's good that we found the edge, right? I don't, I don't think it was quite the right way to do it, but we were pushing the boundaries. So, so here's a little, a little fact for the audience from behind the scenes. Originally, I think your first version of it went up and not down. So your original mm-hmm. ability was the bottom number, and then you would level up. You literally would go up as you got got it, um, and that confused people. They kept thinking the bottom right one was the the power when you cast it. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm sorry, the reverse. They they thought the highest up one was the one when you cast it. So, um, but I know for your testing, you learned that like going up confused people, so you went down rather than up. Right. Now, the other frame change, I just want to bring this up. Um, the Eldrazi required a frame change because you introduced colorless cards. Like, Magic had uh, artifacts, obviously, so you could you could use generic mana to cast an artifact. Uh, but for the first time, Rise Eldrazi says, I'm not a color, but I'm not an artifact. So do you remember where that came from? Yeah, it was sort of an attempt to make them different like they don't play by the normal rules that that humans understand and they can uh be everything and nothing all all at once and uh we also give them a transparent frame to kind of make them different and you get to see like little tidbits of the art it was like kind of an early exploration of of full art and uh, with semi-transparent frames yeah it, it was uh i mean we later would do that planeswalkers kind of do that now um, but it definitely, yeah, it was this, 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 like back in the day, just so people aren't aware, nowadays we make new frames all the time. That's not, that's not a thing that magic is afraid to do. But back in the time, back at, when Rise of the Rise came out, we just didn't do a lot of frames. And this, this definitely introduced a bunch of frames, uh, and, and some bold frames, especially like the level up frame. That's a different looking frame. So. Uh, that's one yeah, thing that, I, I, yeah, I spent a good amount of time arguing to, to try and do some new and, and different stuff with the card frames, and uh, I'm glad that I did because it, it gave it a different, different, fresh experience. And and you know, while we're talking about colorless Eldrazi, maybe it's a good time to talk about the the three titans. Um, okay, Oracle, Kozilek, and Ulamog, and I'm super happy that we did those, you know, we, we sort of wanted that. We, we knew we wanted to have some big legendary uh, monsters to represent the Eldrazi, but we ended up amping them up really high in terms of their abilities and uh, how big they were and how powerful they were. Ulamog and Kozilek have Annihilator 4. Uh, Emrakul has Annihilator 6 and, t- and uh, takes you an extra turn when you, when you play him uh, or her, <laughs> it was just ridiculous. It was ridiculous at the time, and it was very, very memorable. If if people remember the set for anything, they remember it. I think for those three Eldrazi Titans, uh, and and they're still they're still played. They're still sought after today. Uh, and seeing those stomp around in all the formats uh, made people really pay attention to the set. Yeah, it's. One of the things the set really does is when you first open it up, it's just, it is so loudly something you're not used to. Uh, and, and I mean, we do that from time to time, but it was one of the early sets that really like, you right, you would, you would have, a, I think we had a common 7-7, seven, seven, is that right? Um, and like, that's just not something that you ever see, right? Um, like normally in Magic, we uh, you cut off how big something can be at common. I think 
I mean, maybe, maybe like blue gets blue gets some giant serpent or something, and green would have something. But the idea of a, just a, a generic seven seven that anybody can play—that is not something you saw. Right, right, and and we made it actually in limited. We made it correct to play eight mana eight eights, um, and it was hard to get people to switch their thinking over because everybody kind of assumed that that has to be bad because it always had been bad in the past. Yeah, it's funny. Oh, here, where's a quick story? Here's my uh, one development story. Shoot. Um, my one development story is what I'm trying to think which the creature was. So there was a common creature. Uh, oh, Ulamog's Crusher. So Ulamog's Crusher is an eight, eight, a generic eight mana, eight, eight. Uh, and it has Annihilator 2. And what happened was we people weren't attacking with it. It's a very powerful card, uh, but people just were not attacking with it. But no matter what we could do, we just weren't getting people to attack with it. It was an 8-8 Annihilator 2, and just nobody would attack with it. So we finally put on it, it must attack each turn, so the player wouldn't have any choice but to attack with it. And then once they did that, they learned, oh, this is really good, I should be attacking with these things. So that was... Yeah. Uh... Oh, okay, so there's some other mechanics I want to hit before... Uh... So let's talk Rebound. Where did Rebound come from? So, for the audience, real quick, Rebound says, if you cast this spell from your hand, exile it as it resolves. At the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast this card from exile without paying its mana cost. So, it basically sort of did it twice. Yeah, you play the spell, and then you get a free copy of it uh, on your next turn. And uh, I think this came from this idea that we wanted to make an experience where the early game you could kind of turtle up and be safe and then once you got to the you know turn seven or eight or whenever it's, it's time for the game to start to come to start ending and and big epic battles to happen we wanted to uh make a huge an epic turn and so once you get your big fighters your big creatures out on the board and uh you can start having these free effects kick in to make that turn bigger, better, more powerful when you're going to go to just attack your your opponent. Another thing I assume is a lot of your other mechanics were very permanent-based. Um, like Annihilator, by, by definition, only goes in creatures, and Level Up, I think, only went on creatures. So, like, mm -hmm. we needed a, you needed a spell mechanic, and so this also served the role of going on instants and sorceries. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, the last named mechanic uh, was totem armor. So let me um, here. Let me read a, a, a totem armor card for everybody. Um, so totem armor: if enchanted creature would be destroyed, instead remove all damage from it and destroy this aura. So it was an aura mechanic. It went on auras. Right, and uh, there, there's kind of an age-old problem of uh, creature enchantments that you get card disadvantage when the creature that it's on is killed. You just got automatically two for one. And uh, over the time, we were trying to solve that with things like equipment. And uh, you and I were both on the Mirrodin design team with it, where we discussed this, this issue uh, quite a bit when we created equipment there. And uh, this is, a, we knew that, again, that we wanted to have, uh, the kind of like the, the humanoid, the, the non-Eldrazi, uh, be able to have a good fight with 
the eight eights that are that we're forcing you to attack with. <laughs> and so totem armor is both a way to fight against that card disadvantage. Um, it's a way to pump your your little guys up so that they're able to fight against the big guys. And it, it also creates those moments where you have uh, a second chance, right? Your guy should have gotten killed. Instead, the totem armor falls off. He's saved. And now it's possible to see that in that battle, everyone was killed except the guy who was just saved by the, your, your boar umbra. And now he's going to go in and do the last couple of points of damage all on his own. And what an epic moment. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Rise of the Drazi really was, like I said, the, your vision was... We want to get to these giant, you know, epic battles, and what can we do to get there? Um, I know one of the challenges on the development side of things, so that's the team I was on, is making it so you got to the point where you could do that. There was a lot of things we had to do. I mean, you had done a lot in design, and we had to sort of do more to reinforce that stuff. But, like, there was a lot of how do you slow the game down so it doesn't end before you can play your 7-7 seven, seven or 8-8. Eight, eight. Yeah, it's funny because... These, it's sort of similar, like, Commander wasn't super popular at the time, not as popular as it is today, but in Commander you see a lot of people kind of uh, spend early turns ramping, and it doesn't reward, like, fast, aggressive attacking most of the time, and then you start playing huge game-ending spells towards the, the end of the game, and that's the experience we were trying to, trying to create here and uh, without, without knowing it. And then so the Eldrazi themselves became quite good in Commander. Um, and, and we also um, should touch on the fact that the three Titans reshuffle themselves uh, whenever they go in the graveyard. And, and not only reshuffle, reshuffle themselves, they reshuffle your entire graveyard back into your library, including themselves, which made them uh, like perfect against mill strategies. So do you remember why we did that? I mean, originally it was uh, because it was perceived they would be too strong a reanimator, but we had done that mechanic before where anti-reanimator mechanic was to for the card to reshuffle itself, but I don't think we had done reshuffle your entire graveyard back. I'm just, Do you remember why? Why entire graveyard? Do you have any memory of why that choice was made? Uh, I think... Um, Matt Place on the development team was pushing for that, and I assume he had some devious anti-mill uh, agenda. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we we played with it and we thought it was great, and it it was different than what had been done before. So I was a, a fan of it. Yeah, it's funny. For many years, instead of making reanimation more expensive, we just put all this extra text on the big creatures to make them not reanimatable. And then finally, mm -hmm. we're like, why don't we just make the reanimate spells not quite as good and then we can stop doing that on the big creatures? So. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what else? I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, but, but it ended up being uh, kind of great. I think, I think it's, it's quite fun to throw an Eldrazi Titan into all, almost any, any deck that can use it uh, in like a commander type of game. Um, just as a surprise for the mill players. Yeah, as, as someone who loves milling, I, I definitely the Eldrazi are a little bit like, oh, <laughs> curse you, Eldrazi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, and I, in case any of the uh, rules committee out there are are listening, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little salty that Emrakul is banned. 
um, we sort of had the idea that like, ah, if you play a 15 mana spell, you ought to be able to win the game. Come on. And uh, I, I've, ne- I've never been on the receiving end of a degenerate Ember Cool uh, commander deck, but just, I, do I ever get to appeal that decision? <laughs> uh, I, at some point we should, uh, we, we should try to appeal. Okay, so um, my, my question for you now is we went through all the mechanics. Is there any sort of particular cards or themes, anything else that really you have fond memories of? Uh, well, I got to touch on those Eldrazi Titans. Uh, uh, I, you know, I, looking at Emrakul, I, I remember reading some uh, message board where people were like, try to think of the biggest, dumbest card you possibly could the new card in Rise of Eldrazi is even bigger and dumber than that. And I was sort of like, oh, yes, we did our job. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember uh, we. I remember in development, we had a big talk about whether there was supposed to be enter the battlefield effects or cast effects. And we ended up doing, I, I think we were just trying to make them a little bit stronger so we did cast effects rather than enter the battlefield effects. Yeah, I mean, it, I think there's a, it's a good balancing decision because you've got to, you know, you, you can't abuse it by bouncing them, and uh, they're they're as into, into the battlefield effects. They would have been uh, a little more degenerate. But uh, yeah, like I, I said, if you, if you get if you get Aldrazi Titan on the board, you kind of deserve to start winning anyway. I, I also think one of the things is fl- uh, flickering and stuff could cause like it could get kind of degenerate yeah, right. flickering. So that's another reason we did it. Um, yeah, exactly. I remember uh, Eldrazi Conscription. That's a that's a fun aura. It's an eight mana aura that gives a creature plus ten plus ten and annihilator two. And trample. Uh, and that. Oh yeah, trample and annihilator two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that that was. Uh, I don't know if it still is like kind of like the best aura to use in terms of like play auras for free type of effects and uh, you know there's there's aura fans. It was the first colorless enchantment, by the way. We had obviously mm-hmm. had we had, had colorless creatures and artifacts because they were artifacts, but we hadn't had a colorless enchantment, and so this was the first set to have colorless enchantments. Yeah. Oh, we have not mentioned Eldrazi Spawn, Mana Bots. Okay, let's talk about Eldrazi Spawn. So Eldrazi Spawn, um, let me find a card that has them. Um, they were little creatures... Uh, it was a zero one Eldrazi spawn, and they had the ability sacrifice this creature, add one generic mana to your mana pool, or one color site, one yeah. color mana to your mana pool. Yeah, so that's a way to ramp mana without giving you permanent mana ramp. And and you know now that treasures have existed, uh, they, they seem sort of archaic. But you know there there was no such thing as treasures back then, and and so we said. Uh, Let's make them little creatures, and that was nice too. Because uh, in case somebody was playing uh, like an aggressive attack deck, and and you needed a, a while to ramp up your mana, uh, you could use them in sh- as chump blockers, and uh, kind of they they made you feel safe. Like you you had at least a couple more turns to get out your big stuff. Um, and we had. Uh, Cards would make two or three of them at a time too, and uh, it could really take you like from turns, you know, six mana to nine mana in one turn. Uh, put out something giant, and then uh, and then keep going. So yeah, it's those, fun. Those yeah, I thought played great. They they did they did they were cool. 
Um, and like, like I said, they're sort of the precursor to Treasure. So maybe Treasure wouldn't have existed if not for the Eldrazi spawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, I remember they, they caught on. Uh, they were quite popular in R&D in the pit when they, the sets started getting uh, playtested. So any, any other fond memories of the set? Um, not of this world was a, uh, counter spell against, uh, anybody that tried to mess with your Eldrazi. So that was, that was, you know, a memorable, um, colorless instant. Yeah. It was, it, it was actually a tribal card type, which wasn't something that we had, uh, we had done much. Well, yeah, we had done. Lor- Lorwyn introduced the tribal card type, and then we really didn't use it that much. But we decided to use it for the Aldrazi so that we mechanically could tie the spells and other things to the creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, and of course, uh, all is dust. That's another tribal. Tribal. While we're on the topic of tribal. Uh, Sorceries and instants. That's a, that's a tribal sorcery. Eldrazi colorless seven mana. Each player sacrifices all colored permanents he or she controls. Uh, that was like a, a huge statement that these these Eldrazi is serious. They're going to eat everything that uh, is the normal world. Yeah. So this. So just for a little history buff for people, a little history knowledge. Um, this set went on to be uh, really among the enfranchised drafting crowd, one of the all-time favorites. Um, this is when, when you ask people like who are old-time drafters, "What is your favorite set to draft?" This is one of the ones that comes up a lot. Um, it is different. Like one of the things about this set was, um, I know beginners were a little overwhelmed because it just you didn't know what to do. Uh, but once you understood what was going on, it was a really elaborate. There's a, it was a very interesting set to draft once you understood what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I, I was very lucky to get to work on this set because we had uh, I, I, more freedom than we had had with most sets on average. I feel like there's sort of like a a, a reactive thing that happened uh, at, at least back then. When, you know, if you really push the boundaries in one set and it was perceived as being, you know, popular or unpopular, the next year's worth of sets or the next two years worth of sets uh, would be don't push the boundaries, you know, don't don't do anything crazy and weird. And then a couple of years after that, oh, we've played it safe now. We can do something crazy and weird. And so this happened to be a, on like one of the up cycles when we had more freedom to let's try some new card frames. Let's try some new uh, strategies that people may not be familiar with. Um, so it, it worked out great. And it's funny when I sort of think of your legacy as a magic designer, you were kind of known for, you know, you like to push boundaries. You like to be very bold. And to me, Rise of the Eldrazi is kind of like your signature set. Like, n- nothing is more a Brian Tinsman set than Rise of the Eldrazi, because it, it is bold. It, you, you don't miss what's going on. It doesn't goof around. Oh, thanks. I, I'll, I'll gladly take that. I think, uh, I, I think it's great. So anyway, uh, I, I can see my desk here. So any final thoughts on Rise of Eldrazi before I get to work? 
Yeah, I, I hope that uh, Eldrazi, you know, they're, they're an epic villain, and uh, I, I hope they come back. I hope they're popular. I hope people who listen to this, you know, mention them in social media so they'll come back again another time. They, they've been back once, uh, but I think I hope their time comes again. So uh, they, they sure, they're popular. They're amazing. They're fun to play with, so... Yes, they're 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 definitely the the they're one of Magic's big villains. So, uh, I mean, right now Emrakul is hiding off in the moon on Innistrad, but uh, one day maybe one day. It, 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 put him somewhere on the list, I hope. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I I want to thank you, Brian. So it's it's always fun to share stories of of sets gone by, and uh, it's not often I can I can think back to my my developing days. So. Uh, that's that's fun to sort of talk about. Uh, yeah, I I love talking about this stuff too. You you have an ability to remember things that were said in meetings fifteen years ago, and I'm sort of like, oh yeah, I guess I do remember that, and somehow that's all still uh, stuck in your head. So well, one of the funny one of the funny things is because I constantly talk about magic all the time, so I I keep telling the stories again and again, and then I'll interview people who like, oh, I haven't thought about it in you know ten, fifteen, twenty years, and they're like, let me think back, you know, and so. But uh, it's fun. I, I I enjoy reminiscing. So thank you for joining me today. All right. Great talking to you, Mark. Thanks, everybody. So, guys, I'm at my desk. So we all know what that means. That means instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thank you, everybody. And thank you, Brian, for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everybody. And I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.